Barnett will punt on fourth and nine. This is a high wobbling kick. Hill makes a catch at the 10, left side, Hill to the 20, 25, 30, Hill down the left sideline, 40, and Hill's on the loose, there goes the cheetah, Tyreek Hill, 10, 5, pistols firing, touchdown Oklahoma State. Welcome back to Tailgating from the Couch, week 2 of the 2021 college football season, a lot to talk about, of course we didn't have a really a recap episode on Sunday because there were games played Sunday and Monday, so in this episode... We'll recap what we saw in week one. We'll talk some more college football conference realignment, and then we'll look ahead to the game for week two of the 2021 season. All that to come on Tailgating from the Couch. Back now on Tailgating from the Couch. Breaking down week one of the college football season, the five teams that impressed me the most from week one of the football season, Alabama just annihilated Miami. I think right now there's no question Alabama looks like the best team in the country. Georgia, that defense swarmed the Clemson offense, and DJ Uyagalale had nowhere to go. I think he was sacked like something like seven times. UCLA, huge win over LSU, maybe the biggest win of the week when you look in terms of where teams were thought to be and also where conferences were thought to be. Ohio State, yes, the game against Minnesota was much closer than people anticipated, but it was the way Ohio State pulled away at the end and really showed the playmakers that they have and how dangerous they can be. And then finally, Iowa. I know last week I talked a lot about how I'm not expecting a lot out of the Big Ten. They came out and thumped Indiana. Now, Indiana is expected to be good, a lot of expectations. Whether those were real coming off of last season, kind of a fluke-type season last year, still remains to be seen, but still an impressive win from Iowa and a big test for them with Iowa State coming up this Saturday. The five teams that I was least impressed with or most disappointed with, I think you got to start with Oklahoma. Um, a home game, you know, Tulane really made that a close game at the end. OU did get the win, but not the start Lincoln Riley and company w- wanted to go with. Oklahoma State's the second team because, wow, they were on their heels against the Missouri State Bears and a few balls bounced a different way and Oklahoma State starts season off 0-1, so a lot of problems to address and Stillwater moving forward. LSU, they struggled against UCLA, and I think that is a sign of things to come for them a good comparison I saw earlier this week was they were comparing Ed Orgeron to Gene Chizik when Gene was at Auburn you know you gum you win a national title with a generational type quarterback who had a generational season with Joe Burrow much like Cam Newton did that person departs the program you see an immediate downhill slide you saw it from Auburn and I think we're going to start to see it from LSU because don't forget Ed Orgeron has been a coach elsewhere And he didn't have the success. He never reached that national title level he did when he was at LSU. But I think it's just the right pieces fell into place. And finally, Clemson. Clemson's got some problems. Clemson has a lot of issues to address, mainly on the offensive line. Yes, Georgia, terrific defensively, maybe the best defensive line in college football. But Clemson has some problems to address if they want to win the ACC, which was made much easier for that for that to happen, because UNC, a team I picked to the playoff, 
loss of Virginia Tech. Now, I did say I thought Blacksburg would be difficult, and it proved to be. You know, they were all over Sam Howell. Sam Howell threw three picks, had the ball in his hands at the end, couldn't get it done. So a huge win for Virginia Tech, a huge conference loss to start the season for North Carolina. It's really going to make the ACC very, very interesting. you got UNC with one loss, Miami has one loss, Clemson with one loss. Those were the three teams expected to compete for an ACC championship. You could even maybe throw Florida State in there. They played Notre Dame well, which I'll get to in a minute. So your four biggest contenders in the ACC to start the season, Florida State, UNC, Clemson, Miami, are all 0-1. Well, if they kind of beat up on each other, if all those teams are pretty even, the ACC might not get a team into the playoff because you already have your four teams, your four standard bearers, that coming into the season thought, okay, these could be the guys already 0-1. So that is a very key thing to look for as the rest of the season progresses. Elsewhere in Week 1, Kansas State, big win over Stanford. Now it remains to be seen, is Stanford just not that good? Is Kansas State a really good team who's kind of a big 12 dark horse? Florida State played Notre Dame close. Notre Dame won at the end. But again, and something I talked about um, on Saturday night, it's the idea that these Week 1 games are so hard to tell where teams actually stand. Because Notre Dame, Florida State's a great example. Earlier in that game, Notre Dame was running away with it. Jack Cohn was slinging it. I think he ended up with something like four touchdowns, more than 300 yards, throwing the ball everywhere. And it's okay. Is this a sign that Notre Dame is really, really good? Or is this a sign that Florida State's still rebuilding? Well, then it flips later on. Mackenzie Milton, story of the year, comes in for Florida State, energizes that offense. They go out on the field, they score, they tie it up, they send it to overtime. Is this a sign that Florida State's on the come up with the quarterback that they like? Or is Notre Dame just struggling? Do they just struggle in that standpoint? You know, are we going to see the OU we saw in the second quarter against Tulane that blew their doors off, or the OU in the second half that struggled? Are we going to see the Oklahoma State that couldn't run the ball against an FCS team, or are we going to see the Oklahoma State that came out the first two drives and just flew down the field? There's so many questions that come into the season that don't get answered week one that really can't truly be answered until we get a good three, four games really into conference play for most of these teams. So that'll be what remains to be seen. I do think you can definitely say right now Alabama looks really, really good. But is that more of a sign that Alabama's in for another season like they usually have? Or is Miami not what we expected them to be? There's so many questions. And I don't think I think most of those won't get addressed until we get into conference play and we're really seeing who all these teams are playing, how they're doing, how they're competing. Because those week one games are so, so weird. It's so much focus on that one opponent. Things change. Players get injured. Players can't play because of COVID you know, restrictions. So many things can happen. So many things can change very quickly. So those week one games don't answer a ton of questions. So now moving forward after week one, my... My playoff predictions haven't changed much. Um, the one thing I'm doing, I still think that we'll see OU eventually will be the number one team in the playoff. I think they will rebound, and I think Lincoln Riley's group is going to be okay. Maybe in so many ways this game against Tulane was a great wake-up call to start their season. I still think Georgia's going to be number two. That defense is scary good. Now they're going to have to move the ball. 
You have to find ways to score. They didn't do that well against Clemson. In fact, their only touchdown came on a defensive touchdown. So the offense has some work to do against a pretty good Clemson defense. Number three is Ohio State. I think Ohio State is still going to waltz through the Big Ten. Penn State got a big win against Wisconsin. Iowa obviously looked really good against Indiana. But I still think there's the talent gap from Ohio State and everybody else in that conference is very wide. I think we saw that against Minnesota. Minnesota, a veteran team, hung in there. But, man, that third quarter, Ohio State came out. It's like boom, 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 60-yard touchdown, 50-yard touchdown. There is so much talent on that Buckeye roster. I think that will carry them through. Now, here's where it changes. Alabama, I think, will be the fourth playoff team. I don't think the ACC or the Pac-12 will get a team in. I think the ACC is going to have a two-loss champion, more than likely, um, unless Clemson finds a way to steady that offensive line and their offense in general. Um, Because I don't know if they have the offensive talent to run through the conference undefeated. UNC already has a conference loss. Miami has a loss. Florida State, we don't know much about them. I don't think Virginia Tech's going to go undefeated, so I think the ACC gets left out. In the Pac-12, who probably had the worst week of any conference despite that huge win from UCLA, they also had Washington, came in the season ranked number 20, lost to Montana. Oregon, who is their bread and butter like standard bear in the Pac-12, narrowly escaped Fresno State. Fresno State was not far from beating Oregon and then sending the Pac-12 playoff hopes down the drain week one which is something we'll get to when I talk you know conference realignment because it's a very interesting point about where the Pac-12 stands in conjunction with the Big 12 so that's my four playoff teams mostly unchanged the only difference put Alabama in I think they'll lose to Georgia but I think they will get that four spot because of their body work and I think I think Alabama again is a really good team. And I don't think we should be surprised by that. I don't think we'll see a time in Nick Saban's tenure where Alabama's not really good. They have so much talent, it's hard not for them to be good. And the one thing I feel like you can always count on with Alabama, and it's something we saw this week, we saw a lot of good teams play not great teams pretty close. You almost never see that with Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. If they're a 25-point favorite, they're going to win by three touchdowns. You don't see them letting you know, smaller schools schools that don't have the talent, you don't see them letting them hang around. I think that is just that level of coaching from Saban that puts it there. So coming up, after a short break, we're going to talk conference realignment. Some big news this week out of the Big 12 and the American. What does that mean moving forward? What does it mean for the other conferences? So we're going to dive into that coming up next on Tailgating from the Capitol. Getting from the couch, talking some conference realignment. Big news out of the conference realignment world this week is the Big 12 expected to offer Central Florida, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU offers to join the Big 12 conference. Houston has already given their uh, regents president the authority to negotiate where they live in a conference. Cincinnati's filing for application to the Big 12, so a lot of moving parts there. So it really does look like in possibly 2023, we'll see Cincinnati, 
BYU, UCF, and Houston as members of the Big 12. I think by the time that happens, OU and Texas will be in the SEC, so I think you'll have a true Big 12 with possibly a north and a south or an east and a west where you have Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU, Houston, Oklahoma State, and possibly BYU in the west, K-State, KU, Iowa State, Cincinnati, UCF um, in the in West Virginia in the east. So I think that's where that's headed. And the there's a couple things that I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. One, I don't think it's definite we'll ever actually see that because it's all fine and dandy to have this laid out until one of these eight schools gets a better offer from someone, which I still think is a possibility. And I'll get to kind of the, the perception of it here in a little bit, but I still think there's a possibility that a Texas Tech or a Baylor or an Oklahoma State, even a K-State, a KU, some of these other schools get better offers, maybe from the Big Ten, maybe the ACC, maybe the Pac-12, the really the Pac-12. I think once you get that better offer, it's like, okay, what do we do here? Do we fight to stay in a conference that at best will be the fourth best conference in the country? Because I don't think the SEC is always going to be number one. The Big Ten will be number two because they have so many established names. And I think the ACC will be three because you have Clemson. Florida State, while struggling, is still a big brand. You have those big brands in the ACC you don't necessarily have in this new Big 12. This possible new Big 12 has some huge TV markets. Orlando comes in. Houston comes in. All of Utah comes in with BYU. BYU is a huge national brand. Don't get me wrong on that. BYU is huge, if nothing else, because of their network of alumni and the religion that is carried through their grads and their students. So there's potential there. But I think it would always be a situation where the Pac-12 and this new Big 12 are butting heads to see which one of us can be fourth. And after the weekend the Pac-12 had where your best team on paper, Oregon, almost gets beat by Fresno State, you have a big one with UCLA. A top 20 team from your conference gets beat by an FCS opponent. Stanford gets trucked by Kansas State, a team that is you know, s- supposed to finish in the s- bottom half of the big, this current Big 12. So if I'm the Pac-12, I'm going, okay, we have the scheduling alliance, but how good is the scheduling alliance if you're getting beat by some of these other teams? I don't care if you play you know, Clemson and Ohio State every year if you get beat by 20. So that's where I still think there's potential for the Pac-12 to reach out and go, okay, you know, with where this stands, adding these teams in, we're always going to be fighting for fourth place. What? But what if? What if we try to grab BYU? What if we try to grab Oklahoma State? What if we try to grab Kansas State or some of these other schools? What if we try to grab Boise, you know, a well-known football brand? What if we try to grab you know, three or four other teams to come to 16 teams to strengthen the Pac-12. In that scenario, if you can grab three or four teams from this new Big 12, one, you've eliminated the Big 12. They're not a problem anymore. You will always, at the very least, be number four. You don't have to worry about that. But with Oregon, with USC, UCLA, BYU, maybe an Oklahoma State, maybe a Texas Tech, maybe a Houston, in a large TV market, Maybe we can challenge for that third spot. Maybe even the second spot, depending where things fall. 
Don't forget, it wasn't too long ago, 10 years ago, that the Big 12 was one of the marquee, if not the marquee conferences in the country. You know, we're, we're less than 15 years removed, or 17 years, excuse me, from an SEC team getting left out of a national championship game in favor of a Big 12 and a Pac-12 team. So it's the tide can change very easily if you put the right pieces in place. So that is what I think will be the most interesting thing to watch. Do these eight schools in the old Big 12, as we'll call them, really stick together and say, no, we are one conference, we are sticking together, no one is leaving? Or... Does the Pac-12, depending on how the season goes, if they get left out of the playoff again, do they say, well, maybe we should look at expanding. Maybe we should look at grabbing more teams to, to try to solidify ourselves. Because that's what this is. This is a race to solidify your conference. It's a race to be a conference that feeds on other conferences and not one that says, oh, let me walk up here and let me grab this team, this team, and this team. Because that's what's happening. The Big 12's already seen it happen. The SECs come in in the last decade. They just grabbed OU in Texas. They took Missouri and A&M. The Big Ten took Nebraska. The Pac-12 took Colorado. So the Big 12 is trying to solidify itself. Maybe the Pac-12 might do the same thing. Um, it's a very it, it's intriguing to see what will happen because there's so many moving parts to it. This new look Big 12, all it takes is one team to say, you know, I got a I got a better offer, and you, you can't fault them for that in this scenario. Because the Big 12 is on the edge right now. The Big 12 is on the edge of falling to a mid-tier conference, much like the American. They're on that edge right now. Because they don't have that one brand to hold it in place. The Pac-12 does. Oregon right now is a brand, and will be for a while, as long as they keep winning. But the Pac-12 also has to know that if they allow the Big 12 to hang around and some of these teams rise up, because they don't got to play OU in Texas every year. They don't have to compete with that you know, level of talent and recruiting that those teams get solely based on their name. Maybe they rise up. Maybe they start to win more games. That's a very dangerous thing if you're the Pac-12. So that will be one of the more interesting things about this conference realignment. I'm really in favor either way as an Oklahoma State alumnus, as a fan, the fact that OSU could be playing a game in Houston every other year, I love. I live, you know, 45 minutes from Houston. It would be terrific to be able to see my Cowboys that close. Whether that happens or not is going to be interesting because I still think there's a lot of moving parts. And don't forget that we've seen teams accept invites. TCU um, had accepted an invite, I believe, to maybe the Mountain West, and then they never played a game bolted for the Big 12. So there's always going to be better offers out there. So that will be the thing to look at with this possible new look Big 12. The UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU added Big 12, 12 12-team Big 12. Do any of these eight teams get a better offer from somewhere else, which I still think is on the table? Because I think if you're the Big 10, ACC, and Pac-12, your goal needs to be to get to 16 teams. I think that is where this is all headed. I think it's been headed there for a decade now. We've all talked about it since the institution of the playoff. 16 or four 16-team mega conferences. The SEC is already there. And don't think the SEC isn't looking at the scheduling alliance and going, hmm, 
well, maybe we should grab four more teams to get to 20. Well, you can't tell me if you're Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, you know, K-State, any of these teams in the Big 12 right now, if the SEC was like, hey, why don't you come over here with us? Uh, yeah, they're going to go. And you can't fault them for that. Because the money, ever, it's the same reasons OU and Texas have left. OU and Texas can talk about competition all they want. The reason they are going to the SEC is all about those dollar-dollar bills. That's what it is all about. It's all about money. When you're looking at paying $80 million to leave somewhere, to go somewhere new, you know the money has to be good. And that is why OU and Texas are leaving. So if the SEC does decide to expand again, which, again, don't think they haven't had conversations about it. Why stop at just taking two teams? Why not fully solidify themselves as the premier conference in the country undoubtedly? Who's to say they don't go to the Big Ten and go, hey, Ohio State, everyone there, they're on your level. Why don't you come down here with us? Clemson, why you over here with us? I think the one team that will maybe never jump to another conference is Notre Dame solely because of their TV deal. I think it costs them too much money, and Notre Dame's its own thing. Don't don't be surprised in the next two to three years this realignment and conference jumping really heats up and we see a lot more action on that end of things. So that's my brief thoughts. Not really brief. I talk a lot. Hey, you tuned into it. It's what you get on conference realignment. We'll come back here in a little bit. We're going to talk about week two. I'm going to go over some picks and... Since I promised it last week, I'm even going to give you a Garrett's Gripes this week. So you have that to look forward to at the end of the podcast. But we'll be right back on Tailgating from the Couch. Back now on Tailgating from the Couch, looking at some of the week two games around. College football, Friday night, KU and Coastal Carolina. The Chanticleers, a 25-point favorite over the Jayhawks. Tulsa, Oklahoma State, Saturday morning at 11. Cowboys, a 13-point favorite. Tulsa, one of the worst losses of the week, losing to UC Davis. So the Hurricane looking to bounce back. Big game for the Pac-12 and for Oregon. They will travel to Columbus to take on Ohio State. Buckeyes, a 14.5-point favorite in that one. Number 12, Oregon. Number 3, Ohio State. Pitt at Tennessee. Both teams 1-0. The Panthers a three-point favorite there. Florida is a 28.5-point road favorite at South Florida. Virginia Tech into the top 25. They're a 20-point favorite over Middle Tennessee State. Notre Dame a 17-point favorite over Toledo. A&M on the road in Denver taking on Colorado. The Aggies a 17-point favorite over Old Big 12 foe, the Buffaloes. Speaking of Buffalo, they're at Nebraska. Cornhuskers, a 13.5-point favorite there. TCU, an 11.5-point favorite over Cal at home. Alabama, they will take on Mercer. I feel bad for Mercer. That will be a blowout. College game day's game of the week. Iowa State hosting Iowa for the Cyhawk Trophy. Cyclones, a 4.5-point home favorite there. Rice in Houston, Cougars an eight-point favorite. Houston blew a big lead against Texas Tech last week. Texas on the road at Arkansas Longhorns, currently a seven-point favorite in that one. Texas Tech hosting Stephen F. Austin. 
North Carolina will look to bounce back against Georgia State. Missouri and Kentucky in Kentucky. Wildcats a five-point favorite there. Florida State hosting Jacksonville State. Michigan hosts Washington. Washington looking to back, back, bounce back from a bad loss to Montana. Michigan a seven-point favorite in that one. Utah a seven-point road favorite over BYU. Number 14, USC, a 17-point favorite over Stanford. So those are just some of the games we're looking at for the week. Again, a couple big matchups there. Michigan, which, uh, Washington, excuse me, and Michigan looking to, you know, solidify each each other's conferences. Michigan trying to keep things rolling and really right the ship there for Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I think the biggest game of the week from a national standpoint is that Ohio State-Oregon game. A, a win from Oregon would really help the Pac-12. Um, it really hurt the Big Ten. Iowa State trying to show everybody they're, that they're not a fluke. They struggled with Northern Iowa last week. They're going to try to bounce back against an Iowa team that looked pretty good. So that's what we're looking at. There's some big storylines because, again, these early season matchups, these non-conference matchups, you're not only playing for yourself. A lot of the time you're playing for your conference as well. So... Last week we went 4-1, Bama over Miami, Georgia over Clemson, Penn State over Wisconsin, Texas over Louisiana, the one I got wrong, Virginia Tech beating UNC. I picked the Tar Heels in that one. So 4-1 and one to start the year, not too bad. Five games this week. Give me the Texas Longhorns over Arkansas. Give me the Ohio State Buckeyes over Oregon. Give me the Iowa State Cyclones over Iowa. Give me the Tennessee Volunteers and Joe Milton over Pitt. And give me the Chanticleers over Kansas. I think Lance Leopold's building something. Long way away there. So those are my five picks. UT, Ohio State, Iowa State, Tennessee, and Coastal Carolina. So those are my picks for week two. We'll see if we can do better than a 4-1 and one start. See if we can go 5-0, and oh, get it to 9-1 and one through two weeks. I'd be pretty happy with that. Looking at the top 25, not a ton of change in the top 25. Again, these are the rankings that, well, they they matter. They matter to teams. They matter to fans. They don't necessarily matter in the landscape of where we're at in college football, though, just because the, the rankings that count don't come out till October. So as we're looking at some of these top 25 rankings from the AP, from the coaches, the big one is Clemson dropping out of the top four for the first time in, I believe, you know, six or seven years. Georgia moves up to number two. OU falls to number four. Um, Texas A&M jumps up one spot. Notre Dame's up one spot. Iowa State's down two. Penn State, Iowa both jump up eight spots. They're the biggest movers this week. UNC falls 14 spots. So that's kind of what we're looking at there. Not a ton of wholesale moving parts there. Just because, again, it's week one. We're moving into week two. When those initial playoff rankings, that's when we'll really dive into what happens from a ranking standpoint. So, once again, week two, my games to watch, my games to pick. UT over Arkansas, Ohio State over Oregon, Iowa State over Iowa, Tennessee over Pitt, and Coastal Carolina over Kansas. So, so we're looking at, I've kind of talked about the storylines again. These early season games, a lot, lot to prove for a lot of different teams. Now, coming up after the break. I promised it to you. Usually this will be reserved for Sundays, but we're going to throw it in this week. Garrett's Gripes makes a return after this on Tailgating from the Couch. 
Why are you the way that you are? Honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Back now, tailgating from the couch. What do you think about the new Garrett's Gripes intro? Shout out Michael Scott on that one. So, Garrett's Gripes, a fan favorite from last year. We're bringing it back. I've gone over people who hate Nickelback, because you shouldn't hate Nickelback. If you hate Nickelback, I hate you. I don't hate you, but just don't hate Nickelback. Gone over fast food breakfast closing too early. The fact that Walmart doesn't have maps in all of its stores, which lo and behold, I moved down here to Texas and I walked into Walmart and there was a map on the thing. So Walmart, obviously you're listening. So I appreciate that. So I've gone over things like that this week for Garrett's gripes. People who talk on the speakerphone of their cell phone when they're in a crowded public place. And I don't mean if you have to put it on speaker briefly to show something to someone or, you know, a short little bit. That's fine. I get that happens. It's the people who carry the entire conversation on speakerphone. Guess what, people? I am not that interested in your conversation for you to be playing it out everywhere. I was at Walgreens the other night, um, and there was a, a woman perusing the aisles looking for different things and I'm like gosh she's awful loud because she was talking very loudly it's because she was screaming into her phone because it was on speaker the great thing is about phones is you can put them next to your head they make headphones that you can talk into that you don't need to have the phone on speaker take it off a of speaker ain't nobody got time for that no one wants to listen to your conversation nobody I don't care if you're the most interesting person in the world. No one cares about your conversation when they're in Walgreens, when they're in Walmart, when they're out in public anywhere. I see this all the time. The only thing that's worse than the people who hold an entire conversation on speakerphone are the people who hold an entire conversation over FaceTime in public. There are people in this world I know because I'm related to one of them. Ty Wilson, I'm talking to you. I've seen your friends do this. I want to smack them in the face. When they go to contact him or contact other people, they do not text. They do not call. They FaceTime. FaceTime is not the first point of contact for anyone, and it should not be. If you're someone who FaceTime is the first point of contact without some other conversation happening, no, no, knock it off. So, the only thing worse than speakerphone in public is FaceTime in public. Again, if it's very brief, like, oh, hey, I'm shopping. Is this the right thing? Like, that's one thing. Okay, cool. Awesome. If you do the entire conversation that way, you make me want to hit you with my cart. And I know that's mean. I know I shouldn't say that. But it's the truth. And if you can't handle the truth, then you can get out of here. Again, this is maybe one of my more impassioned rants. Since the Nickelback rant, which you haven't heard, it's like episode three. You should go listen, because I have never been more impassioned about anything than I am about Nickelback and the fact that people need to stop hating them. See, I'm getting off track. Nickelback, we might we might revisit the Nickelback hate sometime. Kind of a, a classic Garrett Scribes. This one is all about speakerphone. And why? Why are we doing holding full-fledged conversations in public on speakerphone again it's one thing if it's just you in you know in your office 
or in a studio or in your home, like whatever, cool. But if you're out in public with lots of people around, go to regular phone. It's it's because it's annoying for everybody else. And if you don't think it's true, next time you're out walking around on your speakerphone, ask the people you see, like, hey, is this annoying? And they may be like, oh, no, it's fine. But, like, but deep down, like, no, it definitely is. You should definitely stop. So that is Garrett's gripes. Again, if you're walking around on the speakerphone, if you're FaceTiming people very first thing, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Okay? Just, there's no need to, just don't do it. Okay? So that's where we're at. Another episode in the books, tailgating from the couch. Thanks for tuning in. Looking for a great week of college football. A lot of games to be played. Again, my picks this week. UT over Arkansas, Ohio State over Oregon, Iowa State over Iowa, Tennessee over Pitt, and Coastal Carolina over Kansas. So that's all we got for this week. I'll be back Sunday-ish with a recap episode of Week 2, and then we'll dive in next Thursday into Week 3 as we're getting closer and closer to full-fledged conference play. So in closing, don't FaceTime people first thing. Don't talk elongated conversations on speakerphone in public. Stay off the field and don't be a meme. I am out.